There are two readings this morning and both of them are fairly long. Uh, You can find them on page 1056, page 1056 in the Pew Bibles. And the first one is from John chapter 6, verses 25 to 49. John chapter 6, verses 25 to 49. It's headed, Jesus, the bread of life. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you were looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do? to do the works that God requires. Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What miraculous sign then will you give that we may see and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it was not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they said, from now on give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I shall not shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. At this the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling amongst yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. So continuing on, John chapter 6, verses 50 to 69. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. 
If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the word for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply amongst themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man descend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit, and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, I've uh, been applying for jobs. I'm, this might be a bit of a, uh, a shock for some of you, but I'm planning to head back to Brisbane and I've been applying for a few different jobs back there. And I was some of the work that I'm applying for, it really needs you to work in really close relationship with other people in, in your team. And so one of these jobs, I went up to talk with the guy who I'm planning to work with. And we started to kind of suss each other out about, you know, what is it that Bill needs from me? And what is it that I need from Bill? And we're trying to figure it out, you know, do I do I need you to do this? Or how is this going to work, this relationship? And it's it's interesting because stepping away from that conversation, I realized that what I really needed from him was I needed for him to trust me. For this relationship to work, I needed for him to believe in me. And kind of all the other little details that we talked about, they really would have been nothing if we couldn't find a way for him to trust me and vice versa. And this reminded me a little bit of uh, John 6 as as I was meditating on this week. Because in John 6... I was struck with how similar this experience is of the relationship that God needs 
with us. Well, not that God needs with us, but what actually God needs from us in our relationship with him. It struck me as so similar that actually he needs us to trust him. That he needs us to believe in him. And it's that simple. Come with me to verses 28 and 29 where, uh, where Jesus points this out. The crowd who've come and searching after Jesus, they ask him, well, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. It's simple, isn't it? To believe. But it's not just to believe, it's to believe in a particular person, in the one that God has sent. In other words, to believe in Jesus. This is our part of this relationship between us and God, that God is inviting us into. So I was thinking today, what am I going to talk about? Well, if this is our part in the relationship, it makes sense that we know what it's about. What is it like? What's the true nature of this belief that we are to have? And also it would be helpful for us to know some of the things that might stop us from believing in Jesus. Some of the barriers. And so that's the two questions that we're going to be looking at today. What's the nature of true faith, true belief in Jesus? And what's some of the barriers, the things that would stop us from trusting in him? And to find the answers, what we're going to do is we're going to look back at the people who met Jesus on this day and see what they came to discover about true faith, what Jesus was seeking to teach them, and also the barriers that they found, so that they might also teach us as well. So my first question about what is the nature of truth, true belief? Now, the first part of my answer to this question, as I was reading through John 6, I got a sense that belief in Jesus, well, it, it moves beyond simply asking Jesus for life. It moves beyond that to actually coming to him for life. Let me say that again. Belief in Jesus moves beyond simply asking for life to coming to him for life. Let me show you what I mean from those who experienced this miraculous sign. Now, we didn't read it. It would have been even longer reading if we read it. Way back at the beginning of chapter 6, Jesus feeds 5,000 people with five little barley loaves and two small fish. This is a miraculous sign. This is not a usual occurrence in the life of people. And these people have all the food that they can stomach. They've taken, they eat, they're stuffed at the end of the meal and they are so full and satisfied. And so this crowd who was filled one day, well, they're looking for Jesus the very next day. And finally, they come and find him. And they try to track him down. And Jesus responds to them tracking him down in verse 26. Come with me. You have the Bible open. It's John chapter 6, verse 26. Where Jesus is saying that 
I tell you the truth, you are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Jesus is saying, you're coming and looking for me because I fed you food and you had your fill and you want more. The first time I read this, I thought this was a bit of a rebuke, but I wonder if this is a, well, you're getting a good start, but keep going. Don't stop there. Because what's happening in this little dynamic is that they had received the staples, staple food that people needed to live on in their society. Now, we don't really have a staple food in Australia. Maybe meat. What do you think? What would be the staple food in Australia? I think meat is the biggest thing on our, on our plate. In, but in com- many countries there is a, one particular food which is the staple food. It provides most of the energy needs that a people needs during the day. To keep them alive. In Asia it's rice. In Ireland it used to be the potato, I think. Um, And in Jesus' day, it was bread. And so when Jesus had given them bread, he had literally provided their main need to live. They had received life from his hands. But in verse 27, he calls them to seek him out, not for food that will spoil, but for food that endures to eternal life. Jesus calls them to believe in him, not just to give them bread that will spoil, but to give them the bread from heaven that will give life to the world. And the people, they, they respond like the woman we heard last week, who they, they say, this is a great offer. This eternal bread that will give us life forever? Yes, I want this bread. But they haven't really understood what Jesus is talking about, so he changes the metaphor of what he's talking about, from giving them bread to being bread. He changes it from actually giving them his very self, not just giving him something, but actually being that him very, his very self. He says, I am, in 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. And this is what I meant when I said that belief in Jesus, it it moves beyond simply asking Jesus for life to actually coming to him for life. Um, As I was reflecting on this during the week, I had to laugh out loud because as I look back over my week, and I thought about all the prayers that I had filled my week, well, they were filled with things that I was asking for Jesus to give me. Prayers for a new job. Prayers for a new place to live, a new girlfriend. Prayers for things that I guess I think I will, that will bring life to me. And I was struck with how much I needed to hear the word of God. That life, Real hunger, satisfying, thirst-quenching life is found in coming to Jesus and believing in him. Here is where life is. Why don't we just come to him to have life? 
So that's the first part of my answer to this question of what is the nature of true belief? It's actually coming to him, not just asking him for stuff, because he is the source of life. Well, the second thing I wanted to draw out from the passage is that the nature of belief is that it is an intimate relationship of dependence. It's an intimate relationship of dependence. And this is what I think Jesus is trying to get at with his hearers when he's using this language of eating his flesh and drinking his blood. It's quite a vivid image, isn't it? Have a listen to some of the ways that Jesus speaks about our connection with him uh, through this feeding on him language. Verse 51. Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Now, in this language that Jesus is using, he's using the language of eating him as a a metaphor. And he's using it as a metaphor of appropriating him and his death into our very inner beings by faith, by believing in him, appropriating him into ourselves. And it's really fitting language to try to get this idea across. Now, I I say it's a metaphor of this, of belief, because you can see it really clearly if you put two verses side by side. This is one of the things that really clinched it for me as I was thinking it through. Have, Have a look at verse 40 in the second bit and verse 54 and you'll see a lot of similarities in these verses the only difference you'll see is that the 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 language of looking to the sun and believing in him has been replaced by the metaphorical language of eating my flesh and drinking my blood That's what he means by eating his flesh and drinking his blood. He means believing in him, looking to him. If you have a look at those verses, you see the same outcome comes, that we are given eternal life and that he will raise us up at the last day. Now, what? so you see what Jesus starts out saying in non-metaphorical language he actually goes on to talk about in the metaphor of eating his flesh and drinking his blood so it seems pretty clear that jesus is using the language of feeding on him to speak of an intimate connection that we have with him and his death when we believe in him no the, the language of eating as a metaphor it's It's more familiar to us than you would initially have thought, first thought. We devour books, well, some of us do. We devour books, we swallow stories whole, we ruminate on ideas, we chew over a matter, we eat our own words. I've had to do that a few times. I've even heard doting grandparents, and maybe I've done it myself, declare that they could eat their own grandchildren, they were so cute. Have you heard that language? 
it's a way of saying that the thing we feed on becomes, we want it to become part of us. It's so precious to us. And that's exactly what Jesus says happens when someone believes in him. Have a look with me in verse 56 and 57 where he kind of spells this out a bit more. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood, Jesus says, remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Jesus is using the intimate relationship between him and his Father as the way of talking about this intimate relationship made with us when we believe in him. That we have life in him because he has life. And we are connected with him. This is the nature of true belief. It isn't a casual connection, but it one that goes to the very heart of our lives. We who feed on him by faith live because he lives. And this is very good news, brothers and sisters. If you have believed in Jesus, well, you have found the source of life here in this age and for the age to come. Jesus says that he will give you life and you will never be thirsty. You will never hunger because he will give you life here in this age. And he will say he will keep you to the very end and he will raise you up on the last day. You are safe even beyond the grave. This is true life. This is real food. This is real drink that sustains real life. Wow. So if God requires of us to believe in the one he sent, well, what might stop us from believing in him in this way? And that's the second question that we're going to be looking at today. And throughout the rest, throughout the chapter of chapter six, the Jews are kind of grumbling. Did you hear that language of grumbling come up a few times? It reminds me of the language of the Jews as the Jewish people as they were wandering through the wilderness and Moses was feeding them manna. They continued to grumble too, not trusting God. And these, they grumble at Jesus' words. And even some of Jesus' followers at the time actually turned back from following him at the end of chapter 6. So we want to look, what is it that keeps them from believing in Jesus so that we might not fall over those barriers, those stumbles too? Now one of the barriers to coming to Jesus and believing in him is assuming that you know better than him. You know better than him. I think that's what's happening in verses 41 and 42. Have a look with me. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? They assume that they know better than him. They presume that they know where Jesus is from. And so they don't believe his claim that he comes from God. In one sense, this is a pretty natural presumption. 
Jesus is saying these things in his hometown of Capernaum. So those listening to his claim to actually come from heaven, they're thinking, now wait a minute, he comes from down the road, he doesn't come from heaven. (coughs) But Jesus keeps speaking about God as his father, but the one that they think is his father is Joseph. So they're not teachable. They're not actually open for Jesus to teach them. They think they already know the truth. And this is what causes them to stumble in them trusting Jesus. I think they also presume that they already know the way to eternal life through Moses. But Jesus points out to them that if they stick with that presumption, that they will miss out on what Moses was foreshadowing all along. In verse 49, Jesus says, Your forefathers, well, they ate manna in the desert from Moses, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. It's interesting how we, what we currently know about something can actually be a barrier to us being teachable and coming to know more about something. I am um, ref- reflecting on this and trying to think of an illustration. And um, some of you may know that I used to work as a whitewater rafting guide on the Tully Gorge. Um, and I did a bit of kayaking there. Well, I did. <clears throat> and I did a bit of kayaking in the whitewater. Now, this is one of the roughest rivers in, in Australia to, to kayak. But a couple of years ago, I did a very long walk with a lady by the name of Buzz who doesn't look like a kayaker. She's really big, but she teaches people to kayak. That's what she does. So I could kind of presume that I already know everything I need to know about kayaking, which I don't, actually, now I think about it. And that would have actually stopped me going, Buzz, can you take me out and show me all this stuff that you're teaching these people? Like she's teaching world-class kayakers techniques. And I think this is what hap- it happens sometimes, that we come to Jesus and we can assume that we already know the way to life. We already know what he's going to say. And so we're actually we don't open up ourselves to actually have the first steps of belief, of trusting his authority and trusting what he says. I think of a, a guy that I know who's been coming to church for about five years, but he won't call himself a Christian because he's still assessing Jesus, seeing if Jesus will fit in with what he thinks God must be like. Now have a think about that. Here is Jesus and he has come from the very heart of God into the world to show us what God is like. What presumption do we have to say that we would know better what God is like than he So this is one of the the barriers that we might have, that we might come to Jesus thinking that we already know where life comes from and we might not be teachable by him. The second barrier, and the last barrier I'm going to talk about, is how some of those who are listening to Jesus found Jesus' words very offensive. They were really offended at his words. Not just the Jews this time, but even some of his followers, those who were 
following after him and teach and learning from his teaching. So my question is, what is it that they found so offensive in his words? Have a look with me in verse 53. He says, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now, this would have been incredibly offensive to the Jews on a number of levels. Firstly, on the surface, the very idea of eating meat with blood in it was just abhorrent to them. It might be abhorrent to you too. I quite like kind of medium rare steaks. But to the Jewish people, this was just abhorrent, that, that they would eat flesh with blood in it. And so some people just got stuck at the very surface level of his words. But if they dug a bit deeper, there was actually reasons for even more offence. If they saw beyond the metaphor to what it was pointing to, they would have been even more offended. You see, because Jesus is saying that God's son, the one who's coming from the very side of God and stepping into the world, the holy one of God, the Messiah, well, he was actually going to die on a cross for them. The idea that a Messiah, a king, would rule by dying, this was offensive. This was not how kings acted. And so some people who understood the metaphor got even more offended. And I think even if we look a bit deeper in verse 53, we can see even more reasons for offence. Verse 53, Jesus says that unless they partake of Jesus' death for them, they would have no life in them. And I think this, this would be offensive to them and it's offensive to people today. What are you saying, Jesus? Are you saying that if I don't believe in your death for me, then I don't have life in me? Yes, that is what he's claiming. This is deeply offensive in a pluralistic and tolerant society like ours. How can he be so intolerant? How so narrow, so exclusive? This is deeply offensive to us who believe that we already have life figured out. Pretty well, thank you very much, Jesus. How can he claim that I don't have life if I don't have him? And if we get stuck here, being offended at his words, then we might say what some of his disciples were saying. This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And in the end, we might with them turn back and no longer follow him. But in doing that, we walk away from the word that brings life. And that's the thing, lastly, that I'm going to talk about with Simon Peter. Because uh, I was chatting with uh, Luke about this passage during the week. He gave me a call, maybe to check up on me. And, um, but it was a really encouraging conversation. And one of the thing, insights that he had was that he thought, at the end, he doesn't think that Peter's kind of got it all. He's understood everything and has everything clearly. And yes, I'm with you, Jesus. He thinks, well, Peter probably goes, there's heaps of stuff, Jesus, that I didn't really understand. Like, let's be honest. And maybe I find what you say occasionally offensive. Like, I'm assuming that Peter found the language of eating flesh and drinking blood just as offensive as other Jews. 
But there was one thing that kept him in there, stopped him from turning away. He said, well, I know one thing. Jesus, I know that you have the words of eternal life. So where else have I got to go? Where else can I go? And I think that's what we are left at the end of John 6. That we might occasionally not really understand what Jesus is saying to us. You might open your Bible during the week, try to read it and go, Jesus, I don't know what you're talking about here. Or you might be deeply offended by what Jesus says on at occasions. You may have experienced that. But he has life. He has the words which are spirit and life. And so let's believe in him. In the one that God has sent.